It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Net neutrality is making a comeback. Democrats in Congress have introduced a new bill to restore the Obama-era Internet rules. And while Republicans are expected to reject the bill, it may have been Republicans who got the ball rolling in the first place with their attacks on social media companies. Very interesting there. To help us break all of that down, make some sense of it, we've got James Chernofsky, a senior policy analyst in technology and innovation at Americans for Prosperity. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, give us a little breakdown in terms of this uh, kind of sweeping net neutrality bill and uh, what it is really going to mean as lawmakers try to work this thing through. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so basically with the net neutrality uh, bill that was dropped today, it's Congress just attempting to revisit, uh, you know, an old question that's already been answered in terms of trying to reclassify the provision of Internet services similar to how you deal with electricity and there's nothing good that came out of that. We saw lower investment. We saw uh, slower rates of adoption. It wasn't really a, a productive period of time. And when those rules and regulations were lifted under the last administration with Chairman Ajit Pai at the FCC, the sky didn't fall. But, you know, Democrats are looking for a win somewhere. So it's not surprising to see them go back into the well of net neutrality once again. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to be a deep well there and a, and a, uh, a very reliable one to go to go back to I, I, one thing that you just said there, James, really uh, has me thinking because it, it's always interesting when government does get involved. In, and you mentioned uh, that investment actually fell. Uh, and so to me, the question in terms of the government intervention is always about investment, one, but also innovation and things that actually end up being better for the consumer in the end, both in terms of quality of, of product or service and lowering of cost of product or service. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The reality is, is that if we want to go and service that digital divide and close the gap between rural America and urban America, we have to focus on doing that in a sensible way. And the reality is that net neutrality was not the path to doing that. What that ultimately resulted in doing was just overbuilding of existing networks that were already in cities. And we saw wasteful spending as a result of that. Nobody really likes to see that. And the reality is, is that if you are Democrats and you and you genuinely care about net neutrality principles here, like no throttling, no blocking, there's that's something where I think that you could actually have a bipartisan agreement uh, in light of some recent, you know, from Republicans. But they don't want to do that. They want they would rather sit there and play to their activist base and get fundraising emails. We know how much they love their fundraising emails, and it's unfortunate to see because I think that there is a bipartisan solution that could be found there where you can go and certainly advance the principles of net neutrality without slapping on these ridiculous regulations of Title II uh, onto these Internet service providers. And so let's let's take into that just a little bit in terms of what is actually in there and where uh, if we were building this out uh, as a bipartisan bill from the ground up, where where would that start? What would that look like? Yeah, again, just going back to the basic principles, I think like conservatives and 
Uh, even the telcos don't necessarily disagree with the notion of not blocking or throttling content. Uh, you could go with something as simple as that as your baseline, and I think that you would have a decent amount of support from Republicans uh, just even following those basic principles right there. Um, but again, like I said, I think where you ultimately see the hold up on is just in terms of how you're classifying these these companies. And if you're going to put them underneath a Title II regulation, which is what we're seeing this bill from Ron Wyden uh, do uh, in this instance, it's not going to get Republican support because what we saw with the reversal of the net neutrality rules was despite the, the claims of the uh, Democrats at the time, which were like world famous, like it was these tweets of you will pay for Google search or you will pay for tweet. None of that came true. And it just made them look silly. So I'd rather, if we're going to go and have this conversation, let's have it seriously. Let's get it done in a bipartisan manner rather than just trying to throw out ridiculous, you know, things that don't actually advance anything and just wastes, you know, uh, Congress's time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're very exhausted by that from both sides of the aisle in terms of doing the things that will get them clicks, likes, and uh, a really nice uh, email campaign for their uh, campaign coffers. Uh, so if you look at this uh, and break this down for our listeners just a little bit, uh, if you have uh, you've had Republican calls to regulate social media companies and then Democrats calls to regulate the Internet service providers, uh, help us square square those two circles. Yeah. So basically what you're looking at here in terms of the Internet ecosystem are just different parts of what are called the web stack. So Internet service providers are more towards the the lower levels of the stack because they're servicing the fundamental aspects of how Internet gets deployed and delivered and serviced to consumers, whereas social media companies are what we call edge stack providers. So they are more frontward facing towards consumers. This is your typical Twitter, Facebook, Google, any kind of website in general. These are all on the edge. And so whereas Democrats are trying to control uh, with their forms of regulations, how one side of the stack is going in terms of the Internet service providers. You have Republicans with some of their proposals looking at how they can control how the edge service providers are you know, handling their, their, their content and the way that they're providing goods and services to consumers. So it's actually kind of funny seeing the conversation happen. Uh, like most things in Congress, at the opposite end of things, there's diametric goals at play here. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. Anything we should look at in the short term? Obviously, we've got this the rattling uh, from Senator Wyden uh, in dropping the bill and getting that part going on the Senate side. Uh, anything you anticipate over the next couple of weeks before they uh, break into that August recess, or is this something we're going to be uh, talking about more when we get to the fall? I think this will be something that we'll be talking about more when we get into the fall and when we get to next Congress. I think this is more about just setting a tone in terms of what they're thinking about and where they want to try to get some wins. Because right now at the SEC, you got to remember, they don't have that Democrat majority because Gigi Stone, uh, President Biden's nominee, has been held up in the confirmation process mm. so far uh, for various reasons. And that's holding up the ability of the FCC to just do this. So ironically, it's requiring Congress to actually, if they want to do net neutrality legislation, to do its job, uh, you know, rather than try to go and outsource it to one of these alphabet soup agencies like the FCC. So uh, that's why I think that was more important that rather than engaging in these hyperbolic style pieces of legislation, come meet with your fellow congressmen. Let's get a bipartisan thing and let's focus on where we can actually have that gradual uh, compromise solution kind of bill. 
fantastic. James Shinovsky is the Senior Policy Analyst in Technology and Innovation at Americans for Prosperity. James, I always appreciate your perspective on this stuff. And uh, I love the fact that they're just telling Congress to do its job. And if Congress would do that, we would have fewer executive orders. We'd have fewer of those alphabet soup agencies uh, stretching and uh, reaching way beyond their scope. And while everything always ends up back in the courts because somebody files a lawsuit. Uh, but, James, thanks for your insight today. Great, great input. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, again, this is a, a classic thing, and I just love that James said, that, hey, we're, we're calling it out, that Congress just needs to do its job. Uh, but remember, when Congress doesn't do its job, then the executive branch, including these agencies, uh, will gladly take that power. They'll take it. They'll use it. And the moment they use it, someone who doesn't like what they're doing is going to file a lawsuit. And then it's going to work its way through the court system, ultimately up to the Supreme Court. And that is why the Supreme Court has become so political. It's not that the justices are doing any particular thing. It's that they're being forced to be legislators instead of judges. They are judges. They wear robes, not capes. They are not supposed to be superheroes swooping in to save Congress from itself or to save the executive branch from itself. Uh, And all of this uh, is just a prime example of why we have to get back to Congress doing its job. And then uh, all the balance of powers, amazingly, as they're outlined in the Constitution, actually work. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Uh, When we come back, if you think gas prices are bad now, hold on to your seatbelt. They may be going up in the fall. We'll talk about it with The Washington Post coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.